a lot of times I think people think of mutts as just like, you know, scrappy, scraggly dogs, but no, they're beautiful and they deserve a beautiful book that's dedicated just to them. You're listening to the Believe in Dog podcast. I'm your host and resident dog mom, Erin Scott. Not only can a dog be your best friend, but I believe a dog can be a healer, a teacher, and an inspiration. I can't wait to share with you stories of how the love of a dog is changing our lives and changing the world. This is Believe in Dog. Welcome to episode 55 of the Believe in Dog podcast. I'm your host, Erin Scott, and thank you so much for being here today. I'm so excited for you to hear my conversation with the New Orleans-based photographer, Olivia Gray Pritchard, about her new book, Mutts, a celebration of mystery mixed breeds. This is such an aesthetically beautiful book. It's designed as a coffee table book, has over 100 photographs in it of mutts of all different sizes, shapes, and origins. And I have to tell you, it would make a great holiday gift for any dog lovers in your life. And I was actually wondering about this word mutt and where it comes from. It seems like the term was first used in print around 1899, so like the turn of the 20th century and that it comes from a shortening of the word muttonhead, as in sheep, because apparently calling somebody a sheep's head used to be some kind of insult. I will admit that I've not spent enough time around sheep to know whether this is an accurate insult or not. So then it seems that this word mutt then became more colloquially used to refer to a dog that was not of purebred origin. And I think that's how we all use the term today, but I did love that Merriam-Webster acknowledged that mutts can be used either with affection or disdain. I think that everybody listening would be using the term with affection, though. So Olivia is going to share with us about all the different mutts who have been important to her life, and also the role that photography has played in her life and in her world travels. And Olivia shares all about how She was inspired to start the book, what the process of this book was like. She photographed over 100 owned rescue dogs, not professional dog models. So I was really curious to hear how that process went. And Olivia shares more details about some of the special stories that are highlighted in the Mutt's book. When you hear the story of Duke and Jack, I think that they will be your hashtag goals for the future also. So let's get started. I'm so excited for you to meet Olivia Gray Pritchard. Olivia, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me, Erin. I'm so excited. I have so much I want to talk to you about. I always love to start out by hearing about your childhood experiences with dogs. Have you always been a dog lover? Yes. So my parents, my mom actually found the first dog that I ever had before I was born. So he was, you know, at home when they brought me home. He was a border collie mix. His name was Spike. He lived a really long time, like 18, 19. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so he passed away. I was in fourth grade. So he was my childhood dog, like young childhood. And then we kind of went through several different adoptions of dogs 
after a break because I think my mom, well, both my parents really were really sad about Spike passing away and they just needed some time before they were ready to bring another dog into our family. So we had this one like husky mix named Wiley who was a husky mix. All that (laughs) poor boy wanted to do was run. We were constantly like chasing him around the neighborhood, asking like neighbors would call us and be like, Wiley's down here. And (laughs) I think the final straw was one day he got out and he was really sneaky about it. So for the first like few months that we had him, I was the first one home from school. I was in like sixth grade. The bus would drop me off like 15, 20 minutes before the babysitter would get home with my younger brother and sister. And then he was always in the backyard. So people were telling us that they saw him around the neighborhood during the day. And I'm like, no, he's like waiting for me when I get home. He's there. (laughs) And so one day the bus was like running early. And so I got out, went to the backyard, looked around and it's a, I mean, it's in Mississippi. It was a pretty decent sized yard. Um, And I'm looking around and I'm thinking, is he behind some of these trees? Like, where is he? And then I look across and I see him racing across the neighbor's backyard. He climbs the fence like a monkey, leaps over it, runs up to me. And like, if you could just picture him like skidding to a stop car (laughs) that can't stop. I mean, he just skids to a stop in front of me and looks up at me like I've been here the whole time. And I'm like, okay, so you were out. He just knew what time my bus got home and he would make sure that he was where he's supposed to be when I got home to play with him. What a character. (laughs) So he got busted and the final straw was um, he hopped in the back of somebody's pickup truck and rode like two hours away down the highway. And the person didn't know he was in their pickup, in the bed of the pickup, and had to call my mom from, like, Olo, Mississippi, and was like, "Uh, ma'am, I think that I have your dog. And my mom's like, oh, so we had to drive to go get him. And she was like, okay, clearly this dog is not meant to live in a city. (laughs) (laughs) So we had some friends who owned a bunch of, you know, acreage and farmland outside of the city. And so he went and lived there where he could run to his heart's content. And then we ended up with, so it was never like even a thought that we would not rescue a dog. Like that wasn't an option. It didn't even occur to us. And so my aunt who lived on Hilton Head Island had gotten two amazing dogs from a great rescue there. And so when my mom was finally ready to add a dog to the family for good, They actually found one for us. And so, you know, we told him what we were looking for. And she was like, I think I have the great, a great dog for you. His name's Chester. And he had kind of a bum back leg. We're not really sure what happened. It just, you know, was messed up and healed wrong, but it wasn't causing him pain. He just walked a little wonky. Um, He's a, a big dog. All of our dogs have been big. He was definitely a hound mix with that really long snout. And, um, yeah, Chester came and he was the other really long-term dog that we had in my childhood. Um, through college, I mean, he was he was also around for a long time. 
And Chester was my mom's like soulmate level dog, I think. Aww. Yeah. <laughs> So did you always know, like, when you, you know, move out of the house and like, were you always like, I'm going to have a dog of my own and I'm going to rescue? And So I actually, um, a friend gave me a pug when I was uh, a senior in college. Um, I had seen one when I was overseas, a pug puppy, when I was overseas uh, for my junior, I did a semester abroad my junior year. And so I saw one, I was like, oh my gosh, I really want one of those. So a friend gave him to me and that was a whole nother experience. Cause he was a purebred dog that I had from like infancy, oh. you know, like he wasn't, a you know, dog, like our other dogs who had had to fend for themselves on you know, on the streets for a while and had some street smarts and um, were really grateful to be rescued. Gus kind of like, Gus, my pug, kind of like um, DGAF, like he's just <laughs> going to do whatever he wants. He is completely unconcerned with whether you're happy about it. He's also really funny and really cuddly and snuggly. Like he was a great dog, but he was his own I think pugs are, are generally also kind of just, they do what they want. But um, yeah, it was a totally different experience because it's the only purebred dog that any of us had ever had. So I knew that I would have him for a long time and I did, but I also knew I was going to travel overseas a good bit um, after my master's degree. And so my sister kept him for me, kept Gus for me. Um, I took him with me a couple of times when I lived in France but when I moved to Africa, I obviously was not taking him with me. So he stayed in Mississippi with my sister. And um, then when I moved back to the States, of course, you know, I took Gus, you know, with me where I moved to eventually New Orleans. But I also ended up with Jasper, who's my current giant mutt. Um, <laughs> he was a totally spur of the moment adoption. I went to the shelter with my sister because she wanted another dog and she had seen one at the shelter in Hattiesburg that she wanted. And she took me with her. And then I saw this big, like goofy <laughs> beast and he was on the euthanasia list. So he was, he was underweight at 80 pounds at 10 months old. Wow. So, we knew he was going to be massive. And you know, it was like during the recession, like 2011, 12, nobody was adopting big dogs. And so I took him home and he, he is my soulmate level dog. He really is. And what kind of mix do you think he is? Cause that's a lot of dog. <laughs> it's a lot of dog. Okay. So I would have sworn up and down the shelter in Hattiesburg said that he was a great Dane mix. I think they only said that because his legs were so long and he was so tall, but I never thought that because great Danes actually have kind of like little feet compared to their like size. His feet were, they just spread at the bottom and his bones were really blocky. And I don't think that when I look at a great Dane, I don't think blocky. I think kind of more tall and slender almost. So I swore up and down because he's got a white streak down his nose, black on either side of his face. And then the rest of his coat is kind of a reddish light brown. 
So I would have sworn St. Bernard because he had that St. Bernard kind of face and the the big nose that was longer than a St. Bernard's nose, but I was just sure that that's what he was. St. Bernard and German Shepherd. He has a kind of slope to his back hindquarters and tail that looks very German Shepherd to me. So that's what I was thinking. So I did a DNA test on him oh. when I did the book and it came back and I was just like, I got the results in my car. I was like sitting in my car about to go somewhere. And I was just staring at my phone. I was like, there is no way. So it says that he is 50% German shepherd, which I was like, okay, yeah, I could see that. And then 50% boxer. Oh, and I was like, what? Like that didn't even occur to me. And he's huge, you know, like he's, he's, older now. So he's, he's heavier, but I mean, his healthy weight is about 110, 112. And so I must've been a massive German shepherd. <laughs> I mean, that's all I can say. Cause boxers just do not get that. I've never seen a boxer even remotely close to his yeah. size and weight. And, um, so yeah, I d- actually, I ordered the other brand DNA test because <laughs> I was like, I need a second opinion. <laughs> I haven't sent that one in yet. I need to. I would have done the same thing. (laughs) I was just like, how? So, yeah. And so I have to ask about how you got into photography. Is that something you've also done since childhood? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I went to uh, a school system. The public schools in Hattiesburg, Mississippi were great. And, um, had wonderful arts programs and arts teachers. And so, gosh, I think my first experience with photography was in elementary school. There was like a gifted program uh, that we would go to uh, the kids who, you know, were in this program got pulled out of regular class twice a week and went to this other class called reach. And the teachers were amazing I think because they could make up their own curriculum, you know, like it was what what they wanted to do. And we did a, um, we did a photography like unit where we took pictures with a film camera and then we, they turned one of the classrooms into a dark room and set everything up. I mean, it was, it was really amazing. So I've loved it since then. And, um, I, my house actually growing up, uh, had a dark room in it put in, oh, wow. um, when we added on to the house, when my parents added onto the house, my dad was into photography. So he added on a small like closet that he turned into a dark room. So then I worked in there for a while. My high school had a huge dark room facility. So yeah, I've just been really lucky. And then it, in college, my undergraduate and graduate degrees all had elements of, of photography, counting as credits towards the degree. So I've just been really lucky that it's always been readily available to me. And so you have had some really interesting experiences. It sounds like traveling around the world to do your photography. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. So my undergraduate degree is in broadcast journalism, and then my master's degree is in mass communication. And so What I did for that degree was research into radio. And that took me to Africa because, as in most developing countries, 
you know, not everyone has access to televisions or electricity for televisions, but most people have radios, battery powered radios. And so there are a lot of like radio dramas and radio programs, um, a lot of content. And so my thesis was on that in Burundi. And so I moved to Burundi for six months to do that work. And I was attached to the UNESCO office there. And after working on that and finishing that up, I just applied for jobs within the UN. And I went to Chad after Burundi. And there I was a public information officer. And so they actually, it was a new mission set up, a new peacekeeping mission, and they did not have a photographer. And so kind of by default, I was the person in the public information office that had the most experience in photography. And so I became the mission photographer while I was there and did a lot of traveling around for that, uh, which was amazing. It's a really harsh but beautiful landscape. Um met some amazing people. And from there, I moved to Congo, uh, the Democratic Republic of Congo. And I was in the East there. And that job was not very much photography. It was, I was a communications and advocacy advisor. So I did it. um, The scope of my job was pretty different uh, when I moved to DRC. And I knew that was kind of going to be my last job abroad, at least for a while, it's really hard to be, you know, like 48 hours away from your home when you want to go home. But uh, more than that, it's just, it can really like get to be a lot. There's a reason that, you know, you have really generous R&R and vacation time with these jobs because being in the field, you know, things that you just take for granted everywhere else are, are really, really difficult there. So I left Africa, moved back to the U.S., and uh, that's when I got Jasper and picked up Gus and moved to New Orleans. (laughs) (laughs) And so you have a studio there now. I do. I have a photography studio here. Um, I mostly photograph people, babies, children, families, and pets. That's what I mainly do. I don't do sort of like inanimate objects. I don't do weddings or anything like that. Um, you know, just what makes me happy and feel creative and that's working with kids and animals. You know, I, I have some, some photography out in, in our living room of our, our old gals. Uh, their names were Lucy and Kalua. probably about 10 years ago now that we had these photos taken and, um, my husband doesn't exactly know how much we spent on it, but <laughs> he knows it was a lot, <laughs> and it was. And uh, I often say it's like the best money I've ever spent. Like I have never once regretted that we have those photos, and especially now that they've both been gone for seven years or so. You know, I, they're just these beautiful portraits. I have a portrait of each one of them individually and then like a whole big family portrait. And like my mom has a big family portrait, you know, on her wall. And Uh um, there's just something so powerful about photography. And, you know, I mean, I guess that's the whole point, right. To capture the moment, but I just feel like it's can be so much more than, than that. And, and I, when I was looking through your website and the type of work that you do, like 
you know, that's really special to, to people to have those kind of memories. And, and uh, I would imagine that it can be very fulfilling to be able to provide that, although I'm sure there it is not without its challenges. <laughs> no, it really is. I feel so lucky to be a, a part of creating a family, family's, you know, visual legacy, because this is what they're like passing down to their kids. And, you know, I remember what Spike looks like, mostly from the photographs that we have of him, you know. So I do think it's, it's really, really important. And then for pets, same. I, I also have uh, pictures that I hired a photographer to take of, you know, me with Gus and um, me with Jasper. And it was hard for me to look at them for a while. The ones of me and Gus after he passed away, it was, it was a difficult time. And it was the first, Gus was the first dog that was my dog, not a family dog. And so it was really difficult um, and sad. And I was kind of surprised at like how it felt different than the family dogs that have passed away. It really did feel different. I don't know what I'm going to do um, when Jasper <laughs> is, is ready to head out. But um, it's so important to have those. And now that I do feel better about it, I can look back at those images. And for me, when I'm creating a portrait, I always want to tell a story within that still image. That's kind of always my my challenge. I want genuine emotion, genuine personality, and I want connection with the subject. And so, you know, when I look back at pictures that I have taken of, um, of pets, of, of our pets, and then that I've had taken by friend photographers, I feel like I can like hear his like snorting again, you know, or I can hear, you know, his click of nails on the floor is totally different than Jasper's. Um, you know, when I have this one picture of Jasper laying down, I can hear the like earthquake noise it makes when he lays himself down on the on the wooden floors because he's so heavy and he just drops. So that's what I want. And it, same same when I'm photographing a child, I want you to like look back at that moment and be able to hear her little voice or you know, remember how his hair stuck up in that way for a year, you know? So that's, I think, why I don't photograph landscapes or anything like that. I want to tell a story with, and, and make connection with my subjects and what I feel drawn to and what always makes me happy is doing that with kids and, and animals. Well, you did an amazing job with this book, Mutts. Thank you. Every time I look at it, I just smile. (laughs) So tell us, how did this whole project come about? So initially, um, my sister, my younger sister is also my studio manager. And so she's, you know, she works with me very closely and she had seen a lot of the work that I've created for people who come in with their pets, with their animals. And so for them, we always do, you know, something really great for their wall. And then we do like an, an album or their own kind of coffee table book of their pet portraits. And so she 
well, I think we were on like a family vacation or something and she saw a book about dogs and she was like, you should do something like this. And, you know, initially I was just like, yeah, I wasn't quite sure what I could like add to the existing body of work that's out there. But then once I looked, there was no current coffee table book that was only dedicated to mutts. A lot, there's some beautiful dog photography portrait books out there. Some really gorgeous ones, Randall Ford, Vincent Moosey. There are some amazing ones out there, but they all are, well, a lot of them are model dogs who are used to being photographed or they're, you know, representative of their breed. And there'll be some mutts mixed in every now and then, but it's not dedicated solely to mutts. It's just that dog got picked because they look really cool kind of thing. And so I wanted this to be really an homage to to the mutt, to the dogs that I've had my whole life that are special and unique and, and quirky and just as desirable, I think, as, as purebred dogs. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, we're, we're big mutts. Uh, <laughs> we call them pit bulls in Baltimore, but that's just because they all have short fur and kind of blocky heads. And <laughs> but it's like I, you know, Penny, Penny probably has something else in her. And, you know, I have no you, idea. You never really know, obviously, given the dubious results of my genetic testing <laughs> for Jasper that I'm getting a second opinion on. And so how many dogs total were there photographed? So, you know, I really actually need to sit down and count them because I was like, initially I wanted a hundred, but then like Hannah, my sister, who's also a major dog lover would be like, Oh, I saw this dog at the park and I gave him the form. And I'm like, you, we have to cut it off. Like my, also my assistant who was my dog handler for all of these sessions, she would be like, I saw this cool dog. I'm like, ladies, we've got to stop. Like I have to turn this in. Like it's, it's due to the designer. And so, um, I think maybe like 112, 113, if you don't count the, there's one spread with like a mama and her litter of puppies. So if you're not counting those individually, if you count those as one, I think it's about one, 110, 112, somewhere in there. And so these were all owned dogs. These were not like dog models. Um, no, no, no. They're, they're people's rescue dogs. And so I have tried to take Penny, I always call them her glamour shots because she's wearing her fancy collar that looks like a pearl necklace in it. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> um, you know, Penny is not a, a, a super duper trained uh, dog model by any stretch of the imagination. And, you know, I would imagine it's a little challenging. <laughs> to, to it definitely do can be, for sure. I mean, some dogs were like rock stars and they were done in like 10 minutes. I would, I scheduled every dog for an hour knowing that I needed one great shot and having no idea. Because normally if I'm shooting with a client, you know, we meet beforehand for a consult in the studio. A lot of times they'll bring the dog with them. They sniff around. So when the dog comes back for the session, they're more familiar with the place. And so, you know, you have no idea what's going to like walk in, in the door. Um, so I gave every dog an hour time or 50 minute time frame, And some of them were done super fast. You know, like you offer a treat, they sit exactly where we tell them to. I snap the image. We're done. Some of them needed to like sniff for 30 minutes before <laughs> they could relax. Some of them didn't like the 
the floor is cement. So for some of them, it was slippery or uh, they didn't like the flash or, you know, there were lots of accommodations that we would do where you're really just like tweaking things on the fly um, to see what we can do to make the dog comfortable and get the shot, um, but also not freak the dog out. And, you know, a lot of them, we don't, the owners didn't know what their background was, you know, they got them from a shelter. So, um, some of them were scared of the flash and maybe they thought it was lightning. Also, I was shooting the book kind of like during hurricane season in new Orleans. Mm -hmm. It was in the summer, which is my quiet time at work. That's when I knew I could get it done. But, you know, a lot of the time, if it's thundering outside, I mean, we get daily thunderstorms here for a couple of months out of the year. And so that wasn't the best for ev for every dog. But then some dogs came in and could care less. So <laughs> um, couldn't care less. So, yeah. So it was a lot of flexibility and a lot of, I think, similarities between like parents and toddlers who aren't behaving and then parents. <laughs> And dogs who, who they think aren't behaving. And I'm like, there is literally no judgment here. This is a two-year-old human. Like they can, I'm not expecting anything of them other than for them to be themselves. And it's the same with a dog. Like, so if I had a really anxious pet owner or an anxious dog who wouldn't, who was freaking out about the pet owner, a lot of times we would do the same thing. We like send them out, like go hide in the bathroom or go to the front of the studio or go around the corner where they can't see you. And sometimes they would do better without the owner there. And then at other times, you know, it was the owner who stood behind me and did the like assistant job of getting them to, you know, look in, in my direction or whatever I wanted them to do. So it was really interesting. Was it a lot of like squeaky toys and high pitched voices mm -hmm. or? Mm -hmm. So I, I would make a lot of really loud, weird noises um, just because when I'm shooting, that's the, I don't have to stop and grab something and squeak mm -hmm. it. And I don't have to tell somebody else to squeak it. The quickest thing when I can tell that their body's in the position I want it to get in. And that might just be a split second that I have. So half the time it's me making insane noises to get them to look in my direction. And uh, my, my assistant, who's a very calm, like she's really good energy. That's why she, I guess she's really good with dogs, <laughs> but she's so calm and, at one point I was taking a picture of like a headshot of me with some puppies. And I was like, Chelsea, make a noise. So they look at you. She's like, I can't make noises like you. And I'm like, you literally just make a high pitched noise. She's like, I can't. <laughs> I didn't know that was a special gift that I had. I just thought I was being loud. That's great. So I, I really loved, you know, the book has these beautiful photos and then it kind of gives like a funny little like fact or like quirky tidbit about the dog. And like, those mm -hmm. were just making me laugh. And I had my husband look at it too. And he was just laughing, which uh, I always, I get excited when he laughs that much. About <laughs> hey, <laughs> good. That, that makes me excited. <laughs> like he's like, you can't not look at this and smile. And I was like, exactly. Good. And then I lo I also loved that at the back, you kind of give like a little story about each dog. And um, yeah. I mean, some of them, like, I think it's May Day was like helping. Yes. 
the the dad from the military that like had to learn to walk again and I'm like almost in tears you know uh-huh. <laughs> like yeah you know it just it was just making me think like every mutt you know every dog has their story and and right. the the role that they play in our our lives and so I just thought it was really special to include include those little paragraphs and those little stories as well yeah I mean there were so many great stories like that and I I wanted them in the book but I didn't want them cluttering up the body of the book. I didn't want a lot of text in the body of the book. I wanted it really minimalist. And so it's just the dog on is on one page of the spread. And then the other side of the spread is just their name, what breed mix we think they are, the owners thought they were, and you know something like funny or different or unique about them. And so that wasn't even originally part of the plan. If, originally, I was just going to put their name and their their breed mixes. But as we started going, you know, occasionally somebody would like write in with something really funny about their dog. And I was like, huh. Okay. Let's add like one like pithy line here and see how that goes. And it just changed the whole feeling of the book. It made you able to connect so much more with each dog, I think. And it's funny. Like it, it makes people laugh and it's really joyful. And so I said, you know, um, let's do an index so that people can a look up their dog or look up a dog and alphabetically and see what page they're on. But B that's where we can put, you know, a little bit of their backstory because they're not just model dogs. I, I want a backstory there that tells you something about where they came from or how they how they came to be with the family they're with now so yeah so that was how we added that in without it without a lot of text cluttering up the the front of the book and you know my husband and I were like having fun like when we would see a quote about the dog and it was like oh that reminds me of Penny oh that reminds me of you know or oh you know and, and and it would be so funny sometimes, right? Because like I have my big seventy five pound Nino, and like mm-hmm. it might be something that a Chihuahua, you know. Yeah. And it's like, but that's just like Nino. I don't know. So that was something just very like a little fun. I don't know if game is the right word, but I don't know. It was fun that uh-huh. we were having with it, you know, of just seeing how these traits can be so universal amongst dogs of all different shapes, sizes, pedigrees, right. backgrounds, you know. Right. Somebody told me they liked guessing what breeds a dog was mixed with before they would look at, at what was written on the page. Um, and I was like, that's cool. Cause I kind of did the same thing as they were coming in. I'm like, Oh, that looks like, you know, a Rottweiler mix. That looks like a, a terrier mix. And so um, that was fun too. So, Cause I always watch like dog shows and stuff. I think the breeds are really like, it's just crazy how, how drastically different dog breeds are. Right. And so I knew a lot of them. So I'd be like, that dog looks like a, you know, a duck tolling retriever, like, you know, just really random. But it was very, very cool to do to do that part. So I like that people are are having fun with guessing what the dogs are. So can you tell us about Duke and Jack? So Duke and Jack are really, really special. I actually I didn't know them when I first uh, started running during the pandemic, I wasn't going to the gym. And so I was running outside at Audubon Park here in New Orleans. It's this gorgeous, you know, track around a, it's actually in the middle is golf, a golf green, but 
it's huge oak trees and a lot of really, really beautiful scenery and, and water. And I would see this dog and this older man running, um, like hunting drills, like retrieving drills when I would run by and I would just think, wow, that's a really well-behaved dog because he would always, it was a black lab looking dog and, um, would run, you know, get the piece, come bring it back to his owner. And I'd see them all the time. And so then it turned out that my publisher was friends with them and knew them. I mean, New Orleans is really small and my publisher is local. And so everybody knows everybody, I guess. <laughs> You're only like one degree of separation from everybody in the city. Baltimore is kind of that way. They call it small tomorrow. <laughs> oh, okay. Yes. Mm-hmm. I don't really know how you could translate that to New Orleans, but same, 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 same. So she actually, uh, I mentioned something about it and she said, oh, oh, I know that. That's, you know, that's Jack Hazard and, and his dog Duke. And I was like, oh, so they ended up when I did a Kickstarter to help like kick off funding for the book, they purchased uh, something for the back of the book where I went and did a photo shoot for them. And I went with them to the park and just kind of like followed them and let them do their thing and really got to know them a little bit more and see how special that relationship was. And, you know, John, Jack's son, is the one who says Duke really saved him. You know, he gave him a purpose, a reason to get out and exercise every day, even if, you know, your your body's not feeling it, you know, that there's a young dog who needs to run. So it really was kind of a save each other situation, which I really, really loved. Plus, they're just really sweet people. And it said he's 94, right? Mm-hmm. I was mm-hmm. like, wow. I mean, that's hashtag goals. <laughs> right, right. right. And um, Duke is just the sweetest. Um, he he was a rescue. They don't know if he's a purebred lab or not. But, oh, he's a beautiful dog. And he is so sweet and smart. And, you know, I don't know if you've ever tried to, like, intensely train a dog. But just the sense of accomplishment that you both get when your dog nails something that you you feel great because you helped your dog be able to do this and the dog feels great because the dog got it. And so it's just positive reinforcement all around. And that's a lot of, of what Duke and Jack have, you know, Jack's excited to have a dog who'll run these drills and he loves Duke loves getting in the water and um, he's definitely a, a retriever in that sense and is proud and loves his dad. And it's it was really sweet to witness. Aww. Yeah, I loved that. And so one of the other things I loved in your intro was where you talk about having like a karmic connection with dogs. And I mean, I definitely feel that way about my penny. I mean, you know, my friend and I were out. TNRing cats and here comes this dog running out of an alley and she just jumped right in my friend's jeep and I was just like oh my god this is my dog like (laughs) and honestly it was like the worst time for me to like be bringing a new dog into the home because 
one of our other our one of our old gals was very sick at the time and and but I feel like I feel like we weren't ever supposed to have an empty house. Yep. So it had to be then that yep. we that she found us, you know, and um my husband was just like scrolling on Facebook one day and saw Nino and I mean, you see a ton of dogs, especially if you're somebody who follows shelters or rescues and stuff on Facebook. And my husband's just like, this is our dog. And I'm just like, all right, he trusted me with Penny. I'll trust him with this one, you know. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and there is just something to be said for just kind of seeing a dog and just kind of like, yeah. oh, that's my dog, you know. <laughs> yeah, That's how it happened with Jasper, because my sister was looking at the shelter pages to look at what dogs they had when she was going to go adopt. She wanted to adopt a black dog because they get overlooked at the shelters so often. And as we're looking and clicking through, I saw Jasper and his name at the shelter was horse because he was (laughs) so big. And normally I don't change a dog's name. Like we've, we've always had the, the name that the dog came with came with is what we kept calling them. But I was like, I cannot have a dog named horse. I can't like yell that out the backyard. <laughs> like, ha- I mean, if you nickname is whore, like I just can't do it. <laughs> and so I changed it to Jasper, but I saw him. I mean, I, I'm, I say that I knew I was going to get him when I saw them on the euthanasia list, but I really knew I was going to get him when I saw him on Facebook. <laughs> and so um, the euthanasia list just really drove it home because again, it was a terrible time for me to get a dog. I was, uh, moving to a new city. He was huge. There's usually weight restrictions. Um, if you're looking to rent an apartment or something, so it wasn't an ideal time, but, but it was, it, it was supposed to be, that's how it worked out. And it looks like he has a new BFF in your daughter. So they have a, um, well, she loves him. He has more of a love-hate situation <laughs> with her. He was a lot more into her before she was mobile. <laughs> he would be really close to her all the time. And then once she started moving around, he was like, whoa, this is a lot. And also he's getting a lot older. And so he avoided her for a while when she was in the crawling phase, I think. Uh, but then she started dropping food. Yes. And then she started seeing that like cause and effect. If she drops food, he will come and eat it. And so then it became an active feeding situation. <laughs> and so now, now they're back on, on good terms. I, I love, I don't have children, but I love seeing that relationship between dogs and children play out, you know, <laughs> it's really sweet and really precious. And I love that he's always been so much bigger than her. So she is not even remotely scared of any animal because she grew up with one who was already so much bigger than she is. That's a good point. And she, you know, it taught her to be, it taught her what gentle was. The first time we ever said gentle to her was when she was a teeny baby and like gripping and she'd grip his fur and then we'd undo it and teach her about being gentle. And he always has been so gentle with her. So it's been really lovely for her to grow up with him in the house. Gentle giants. Mm Mm-hmm. All right. So tell us about the book. Where can we get it? And I I believe I saw that the proceeds are going to rescue organizations as well. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So um, during the Kickstarter, we 
did a push at the very end to get to our goal. And so 10% of the last few days donation went to three local shelters who've been really responsive and they sent me a ton of their dogs and owners that had come from their rescues. So those are uh, Take Paws Rescue, Animal Rescue New Orleans, and the LA SPCA, the Louisiana SPCA. And so same with the So most of the book signings that we're setting up, um, I'm trying to partner with a local rescue to also simultaneously do a, a, an adoption event or something like that. And then part of the proceeds go to that rescue from that event. So it's really, really cool. Take Pause is actually hosting a, a book signing for me. And we've, you know, they've got a great local restaurant to donate space and time. And those, the restaurant owners have a dog from that rescue and um, just, just really, really cool stuff. So it is really neat to be able to like set something up and say, Hey, how would you feel about like having some dogs at the same time? And most people are all about it. They know that'll be a huge draw uh, we just did a Kendra Scott, the jeweler, reached out to me, um, the shop here in New Orleans, and did a signing and had had some puppies there. So it's really really fun. Oh wow, that's exciting. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm so excited for everybody to get the book. I'll make sure that we have links in the show notes that'll take them to it. Is a perfect Christmas present. <laughs> it really is. It's like you know, this is the best gift for anything like somebody who's sick, you know, because it makes you so happy or Christmas or, you know, whatever holidays are coming up for you. Um, birthday housewarming. I mean, it's just a really good, happy all around book. And also the perfect gift for like somebody who's really hard to buy for, you know, if they like dogs, you know, they'll love it. Yeah. And and it's just really beautifully done. I was like, this is just, it's a like a big, beautiful coffee table size book. It has these great just detail. I can just tell all the detail and the planning that went into it. Like it's really just, it's beautiful as as a book too. Thank you. Thank you. I really did want it to feel special. And, you know, a lot of times I think people think of mutts as just like, you know, scrappy, scraggly dogs, but no, they're beautiful and they deserve a beautiful book that's dedicated just to them. Well, you knocked it out of the park. (laughs) Thank you. Yes, thank you so much, Olivia, for sharing your mutts with us. (laughs) Thanks so much, Erin. I loved talking with you. So make sure you check the link in the show notes so you can get your copy of Olivia's Mutts book. It really is just so much fun and brings me so much joy to look at it. And it's such a big, beautiful book. You can tell how much thought went into making all these little different details about the book to make it a really special experience for the reader. And of course, you know that I love that proceeds are going to Louisiana-based rescue and shelter organizations. It's funny, I've never done any DNA testing on any of our dogs and I... <laughs> Is it weird that I don't really like care (laughs) what their breed mixes are? Like they're just Penny and Nino. And I guess I've just never really been concerned with, with that sort of thing. Although recently a friend of mine did find out that her dog had a genetic mutation for something called 
the MDR1 gene, which is multi-drug resistance mutation, which means that her dog is more likely to have bad reactions to certain types of drugs, such as antibiotics or vaccines. And that was something I had never heard of before. And so I really do see the benefit in DNA testing for specific health issues, especially when your dog is a rescue and you don't know the family history. So it's something I actually might start investigating a little more. But for me, just to find out what kind of breed mixes they are, that in and of itself has never been enough to, to make me look into DNA testing. I had shared with Olivia how we had had family portraits taken when our family consisted of Tim and I and Lucy and Kalua. But of course, ever since I've had this conversation with Olivia, I've been circling around the fact that we haven't done any super formal portraits of our whole family with Tim and I and Penny and Nino. I actually have a ton of really beautiful photos and portraits of Penny, and we've even had a couple of those blown up, but we don't have anything of, of this chapter of our family life together. So I think that's something I'm going to be thinking more about. And I, I love this idea of having this visual legacy and being able to capture these special moments. And so I think that's something that I'm going to have to keep in mind over the next year or so, because I, I want to make sure that we commemorate this chapter of our family also. I have to admit that I myself am a terrible photographer, which my husband, Tim, will gladly tell you. And so... I guess I always just have so much extra admiration and respect for people who do have that talent because it is clearly not one that I possess. So before we sign off for today, I just wanted to take an extra moment to mention that the Believe in Dog podcast family lost a special dog this past week. His name was Charm, which was a very appropriate name for the sweet guy. Charm was a rescued, retired racing greyhound, and you may remember his mom, Jennifer Gans, from episode, I think it was 27 and 28, or Apple Podcasts decided to do their own numbering, so <laughs> it's somewhere around there. But Jennifer is a school psychologist in Baltimore, and Charm was a therapy dog who helped her with her work. So Charm had special relationships with all kinds of students in Baltimore. He was also a foster sibling to many dogs that Jennifer fostered through rescue organizations. And he was just a really sweet, silly boy with really adorable ears. So I'll put a link in the show notes to parts one and two of my conversation with Jennifer. If you haven't heard that one, or if you'd like to go back and hear it, uh, Jennifer's a really special person, and I'm so incredibly sorry for this tremendous loss of charm. So that'll do it for this episode of the Believe in Dog podcast. Again, make sure you check the links in the show notes so you can get your copy of Mutts, a celebration of mystery mixed breeds, written and photographed by Olivia Gray Pritchard. Remember, you can always find me on Instagram at Believe in Dog Podcast with underscores or on Facebook at Believe in Dog Podcast. So until next time, this is Aaron Scott sending you hugs and belly rubs. Believe in Dog Podcast is a production of Hugs and Belly Rubs, LLC.